You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. He sets aside the first covenant to establish the second, the new covenant. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's good stuff. That's tremendous. I don't know if we really appreciate all that God has done for us in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Could you imagine going through ritual sacrifices day in and day out, only to have a yearly reminder that they're insufficient for removing sin? Even if we were to perfectly observe the law, the writer of Hebrews explains that the law is but a shadow. In today's message, Pastor Danny will help you better understand all that Christ has done for you by shedding his blood. In his study, you'll gain a better understanding of all that was fulfilled by the work of the cross nearly 2,000 years ago on Calvary. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Malachi chapter one, as he continues his message, Offerings That Please the Lord. Verse 8, Malachi chapter 1. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor, exclamation point. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? You jump down to the end of verse 13 of Malachi chapter 1. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I'm a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations." Deuteronomy 15, 21, in the law, that one verse says very specifically, don't bring an animal to offer to the Lord that has any defect. So I think we got the point. No defect. Then you go to Leviticus chapter 2, verse 1. When someone brings a grain offering, so this whole chapter is about the grain offering. To the Lord, his offering is to be a fine flour. He's to pour oil on it, put incense on it, take it to Aaron's sons, the priest. The priest shall take a handful of the fine flour and oil together with all the incense and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, an offering made by fire. Here it is again, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Jump down to verse five. If you bring a grain offering baked in an oven, it is to consist of fine flour, cakes made without yeast. Very important. Without yeast. Verse 13. 
same chapter. Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. So grain offering, no yeast, always add salt. Oh, I know, this is exciting stuff. I know how excited you are. I know, I understand. <laughs> Hang on. Chapter three is the fellowship offering. Verse one, if someone's offering is a fellowship offering and he offers an animal from the herd, whether male or female, he's to present before the Lord an animal without defect. And again, he's to lay his hand on the head of his offering, slaughter it at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Then Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood against the altar on all sides. From the fellowship offering, he's to bring a sacrifice made to the Lord by fire. The end of verse 5, Leviticus 3, if you do it right, it's an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Verse 12, if his offering is a goat, he's to prepare it before the Lord. He's to lay his hand on its head, slaughter it in front of the tent of meeting. The end of verse 16, you do it right, it's a pleasing aroma. And notice at the end of verse 16, all the fat is the Lord's. He gets the fat. Why? That's where the flavor is. And then the last part of verse 17, chapter 3, you must not eat any fat or any blood because the life of the animal is in the blood. Chapter 4, the sin offering. Let's read several verses here. Verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, when anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands. So you didn't do it intentionally, but you're still guilty. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering. Verse 4, he's to present the bull at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. He's to lay his hand on its head and slaughter it before the Lord. Verse 13, if the whole Israelite community sins unintentionally, does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though the community is unaware of the matter, they're guilty. Ignorance is no excuse. Verse 14, when they become aware of the sin they committed, the assembly must bring a young bull as a sin offering, present it uh, before the tent of meeting. The elders of the community are to lay their hands on the bull's head before the Lord, and the bull shall be slaughtered before the Lord. Verse 22, when a leader sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the commands of the Lord is God, he's guilty. Ignorance, no excuse. Verse 27, if a member of the community sins unintentionally, does what is forbidden, he's guilty. I think God's stressing a point. Verse 32, same chapter. If he brings a lamb as his sin offering, he's to bring a female without defect. He's to lay his hand on his head and slaughter it for a sin offering at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered. And then chapter 5, the guilt offering. Verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, when a person commits a violation, sins unintentionally in regard to any of the Lord's holy things, he's to bring to the Lord as a penalty a ram from the flock, one without defect, and of the proper value in silver, according to the sanctuary shekel, it's a guilt offering. Verse 17, if a person sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though he does not know it, he's guilty and will be held responsible. He's to bring to the priest as a guilt offering a ram from the flock, one without defect. 
It's a guilt offering. I know you're going to be in Leviticus again tomorrow for your devotions, aren't you? Here's what's incredible. I understand we don't live under this economy. I understand that. But if you did, and you did everything right, even though it says if you did it right, it's an aroma pleasing to the Lord, they are still inadequate. You could do it to the letter of the law, and it was inadequate to take away your sin. Here's what Hebrews tells us, and a lot of Hebrews is explaining to us the new covenant in light of the old covenant, and that a lot of, well, all of the things related to the tabernacle and the worship of the tabernacle, they are types, they are shadows. That's what the New Testament tells us. Hebrews says, for example, day, every, day after day, every priest under this economy, the Old Testament economy, stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So the priest is uh, serving us back in the Old Testament economy. We bring uh, the burnt offering. We bring uh, from the herd of the flock. We bring an animal without defect. And then we have to come back and bring another animal. And then another animal. We do the grain offering. Whatever offering it is, that priest is busy because people are coming uh, repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly bringing their sacrifices, and yet none of them would ever take away their sin. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. When we get to Leviticus 16, we'll spend one evening on Leviticus 16. And Leviticus 16 is all about what's called the Day of Atonement. Let me just clue you in, even though we're not going to study it tonight. The Day of Atonement is a one day, one for all, all for one sacrifice, even though you've offered all the other sacrifices under the Old Testament law, and you may have done them all correctly, but now there's a one day, day of atonement, one for all, all for one sacrifice that's meant to atone for the whole nation. That's specifically what the writer of Hebrews is referring to when he says it's an annual reminder of sins. The idea is you've done all the other sacrifices and you've done them according to the letter of the law. And then you have the day of atonement. And then you go back into doing the sacrifices the rest of the year, and you come back a year later, and guess what? You're doing another Day of Atonement sacrifice. And it just goes on and on and on. All of the sacrifices are fulfilled in Christ. Turn with me. Turn with me. Take a quick look. Hebrews chapter 10. We want to read several verses Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5. And this is right after, well, we might want to read up to it. So let's go back to verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? Good question. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder 
because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Then he says, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, O God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them in regard to taking away sin, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am. I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first covenant to establish the second, the new covenant. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's good stuff. That's tremendous. I don't know if we really appreciate all that God has done for us in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now let's flip the coin. Because everything is in Christ, and all of the sacrifices are fulfilled in Christ. We go back now, flip the coin over, and there are tremendous practical lessons in these sacrifices. Tremendous practical lessons. The burnt offering. The burnt offering was not to be eaten. The burnt offering was not to be shared. The burnt offering, you take the whole animal on the altar. And the burnt offering represents wholehearted devotion. Now, Christ ultimately fulfilled all the sacrifices. And of course, nobody was more wholly devoted than he was. And he's the author and perfecter of our faith. We're following him. That's why Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, what he's done for us, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. New Testament believer, we don't come bring a physical animal. That's Old Covenant. That's Old Testament. And even if we did, it doesn't really do us any good. But now that Christ had offered himself, in view of the mercy of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, this is our spiritual act of worship. Another translation says, this is your reasonable act of worship. It's interesting. You go back to Leviticus chapter 6. I don't want us to miss this, and then we're going to move on to the next one, But Leviticus chapter 6, the end of verse 9, for the altar for the burnt offering, it says the burnt offering, the middle of verse 8, is to remain on the altar uh, hard throughout the night till morning, and the fire must be kept burning on the altar. You go to the end of verse 13, the fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. A third time, actually that was the third time, the end of verse, or verse 12, the fire on the altar must be kept burning, it must not go out. So three times in the chapter, God says, make sure that the altar uh, where the burnt offering is to be offered, the fire never goes out. Why would God do that? Why would God say, never let the fire go out for the, offering, uh, for the altar of burnt offering? 
because he wants us at any moment, at any time, day or night, to be able to say, I offer myself. I offer myself to you. He invites people to come, lay your life down for him because he laid his life down for you. Then there's the grain offering. And the grain offering really has several applications. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 says that man does not live by bread alone. Now, sometimes we got to not forget, while the emphasis of that is man does not live by, by bread alone, but on every word, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, okay? And so the emphasis is the word of God is more important. But don't miss that it doesn't say bread is unimportant. Man does not live on bread alone. The grain, that's what they made the bread from. It represents that which sustains my life. Grain under this Old Testament economy and in this culture was like a paycheck. Now, I'm not going to get off on this, but listen, uh, the practical translation New Testament of the grain offering would be that which sustains my life. My paycheck, I buy my bread, my food. Are you with me? That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, that the offering he received from the Philippian church was an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to the Lord. That physical offering was pleasing to the Lord. Grain uh, was also used daily. Give us this day our daily bread. And the grain offering was to have no yeast, no yeast, no yeast. Yeast represents sin. Uh, you can just write down 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, talks about getting rid of the yeast in your life as a believer, and the yeast there is, of course, sin. In the context uh, of 1 Corinthians 5, it was sexual sin. Purify your life. Get the yeast out that you'll be pleasing to the Lord. And it's a daily challenge. I love what Daniel says. The greatest challenge of the Christian life, great challenge of the Christian life, it's so daily. Uh, I went back into the old King James today in Matthew 6, 34. Here's the way the old King James puts it. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Every day. Every day. Then Ephesians six thirteen says there is a day of evil. It's a daily challenge to keep the yeast out of my life. A couple more quickly. Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 6. This grain, it says they are to crumble it and pour oil on it. Then you jump down to verse 14. If you bring a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, offer crushed heads of new grain roasted in the fire. That's no accident. The crushed grain. Jesus said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Isaiah 53, 5 says he was crushed for our iniquities. The grain offering also speaks of Christ being crushed for us. And then one last one. Leviticus 2, 13. Never offer the grain offering without salt. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled by men. So I keep the yeast out of my life. I keep focused on Christ who was crushed for me. I stay salty for God. And then there's the fellowship offering. Ephesians 2 says it best, for he himself is our peace, to his peace who has made the two one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Uh, the fellowship offering is the only offering that was shared with the worshipers. It was like a family meal. And the idea is because I have peace with God, I have fellowship with God, and I also have fellowship uh, with his people because of the peace that I have with him. First uh, John 1 3 we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ and then the sin offering boy <laughs> the sin offering Tremendous verse come on this is worth saying together all right you ready God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Incredible. Hebrews 10, 18 says, where these have been forgiven because of the new covenant, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, there's no longer any sacrifice for sin. Nothing we can offer to God already been offered by Christ. Tremendous. And then there's the guilt offering. And the guilt offering, one last scripture, let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, talking about the Old Testament economy, and I'm just going to pick it up in verse 8. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. And then jump to chapter 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. If you have a guilty conscience... The place to go is the cross. Is the cross. Isn't it incredible that every need we ever have is met at the cross? Every need at the cross. That's why it's so important to keep coming to the cross daily, regularly.
We're so glad you joined us today on The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. If you want to hear today's message again, please visit ccfstpete.church. You're also invited to join our Bible reading plan. Just look under the resources tab on our website for more information. This is a great way to dive into the Word. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? Everyone deserves the chance to be changed by the love of Christ, so please pray that anyone listening remains open to hearing the gospel message. Pray for soft hearts to receive the grace that Jesus has for all. Please pray also for us, that we'd continue seeking God's will for this program, and that we'd have the courage to follow Him wherever He might lead. As you pray, please consider if God would lead you to support us financially in some capacity. If you'd like to partner with us in this way, please visit our website at ccfstpete.church and click on the online giving guide under Forms. Thanks for praying with and for us. How can we pray for you? Let us know by emailing us at info at ccfstpete.church. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. Thanks for tuning in for The Living Word. 